Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron White, and in this special episode of FF Plus, you'll hear my interview with Parker Finn, the director and writer of indie horror box office hit Smile. We do get into spoilers briefly about the ending, but I do note it before we start talking about that. That conversation piece lasts about two minutes, so you can just skip ahead if you have not seen the film yet. However, Smile is still playing in some theaters, and it is available to purchase digitally online or stream on Paramount+. Plus. So go and check it out for yourself, and come back and listen, or give this a listen, get inspired, and go check it out afterwards. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Parker. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time to be here. It's good to meet you. Good to get a chance to talk to you. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm excited, and I want to start by throwing some praise at you and making you really uncomfortable. <laughs> We're talking about a movie here, or your directorial debut feature film, indie horror movie that is sitting at 210 million plus worldwide box office haul. How does that even feel? Does that register for you yet? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's it's surreal. It's it's, uh, it's very strange but very exciting thing to see audiences um appearing to embrace the movie the way they have but um yeah it all feels very uh unreal i don't know did you ever in your wildest dreams imagine that it could take off this well it has been incredible <laughs> yeah no i mean no I, I don't think this is uh certainly not what i was thinking about when i was when i was making the movie i was just you know incredibly grateful for the opportunity to get to make something you know regardless of where it was going to land i mean even if you know 100 people saw it i would have been happy so yeah no i think i think you're, you know i was just trying to make the film i really wanted to see and and uh tried to, to make it the best that i could and yeah no it's just it's it's been amazing to see it just happen to it it's great well, before we get into Smile specifically, I kind of wanted to give a little background because I'll be honest, I couldn't find a lot about you online. <laughs> and so I, I wanted to learn, how did you get involved in filmmaking? What was your path to be this becoming a career for you? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I grew up in um, in Northern Ohio, like sort of in between Akron and Cleveland. And my dad was a major cinephile and my mom had been a school teacher. So like always watching movies with my dad and then uh, my mom always made sure I had a book in my hand. So I grew up sort of immersed in fiction and storytelling, but I didn't, you know, I didn't really understand like how movies were made or anything like that. Back then they always sort of felt very much like um, they just sort of, arrived from above fully formed and, and i didn't understand that there were people like authoring them but i think like you know at a certain point like a like a switch kind of flipped and and i started to realize you know it was like the sort of the spielbergs and the camerons and the like ridley scotts of the world where i was like oh like they're like there are these people out there like making movies like these are these are uh the individuals behind that and and then i got really interested in like the behind the scenes of stuff and, and learning how things were pulled off and that sort of led me down the path of, of being obsessed with practical special effects I remember the first time i saw the thing i wanted to like learn everything i could about Robotine and and how they pulled that stuff off but like as a kid i, I mean i knew i i loved movies and i loved books but i i didn't there was no obvious path to becoming a filmmaker or, or or Hollywood or anything like that. I mean, I was, you know, when I when I could, I would like steal my dad's camcorder and like make little home movie things and stuff like that, yeah. um, and learned how to edit in camera and and and, and all of that. But um, no, I I eventually I you know I went out to to college undergrad and I was a I was an English creative writing major 
okay. and was writing a lot of um, fiction at that point, mostly short fiction. And, you know, I sort of like decided to hold the trigger and then move out to Southern California and uh, went to grad school at, at Chapman University for film finally. And yeah, I mean, so that, that got me out to, to, to Southern California and, and, and sort of writing and, and making stuff. But then, I don't know, you, then you sort of, you land in LA and, and you don't know like what in the world to do in order to actually to break through. And it's, it just was a lot of years of, of writing scripts and, and making shorts before I, I had done that short film that I think a lot of people are aware of now called Laura Hasn't Slept, which ended up, mm-hmm. you know, playing at South by and that sort of, that unlocked a lot of doors of, of what let Smile happen. Yeah. It's always amazing how individual stories happen and, and it's like a lot of work, but you, you kind of just, you just do it for a passion and hope that eventually something hits and, and then a break occurs and you get an opportunity and you get the next opportunity. And like you're saying, your short film kind of opened that door. How did Paramount get involved with you with regards to making Smile? So yeah, when that, so that short film, it had, it had won an award at South by Southwest. That was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, we, there was like a private Vimeo link that had started organically just spreading around town. I mean, it was under a password, but suddenly I woke up one day and like hundreds of people were watching it, uh, which was, which was very strange. And then, you know, people started reaching out and I spent like the beginning of the pandemic on like 10 Zooms a day from my bedroom, oh, wow. um, which was like really, really intense and and strange. And, you know, of all of the ways I, I you know, sort of dreamed that Hollywood might turn and look in my direction. Um, and I never thought it would be over Zoom yeah. <laughs> from my I'm from sure. my bedroom. <laughs> yeah, but they, um, you know, I sort of was meeting a lot of producers and buyers and there was clearly an interest. And I had been sort of developing this concept uh, for Smile, sort of springboarding out of out of the Laura Hasn't Slept short. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had the opportunity to, to pitch it and, and it felt very, there was a lot of momentum early on with, uh, with both Temple Hill, who were my producers on it, and and Paramount as the studio, and they really got behind the idea and supported it. So I sort of I I sold it to Paramount as a pitch. Myself attached to to write and direct it. That's awesome. You might have to dance around this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So with you being a first time filmmaker attached to this pretty large studio, who's giving you this opportunity? Was there anything that you had to compromise on? with regards to your vision or do you feel like you were able to make the movie that was in your head the whole time? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say like I, I got to make the movie that I wanted to make. I mean, of course um, you're always, I mean, with, you know, budget and schedule and things like that, you're always sort of put into a box and like, I am keenly aware that as a first time filmmaker, like I was giving like way more resources than, than most first time filmmakers are, which I'm, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and I'm so lucky but it doesn't matter. I mean, if you have a hundred million dollars, you're still going to have this, the same issues uh, that, the, you know, there's just never enough money, never enough time, never, you know, you always find ways to sort of compromise. But I think it, you know, it became about, I mean, what was most important to me was that, was that, you know, they were letting me make the movie with like the, the tone that I was really after and sort of the, the, the thematics and the motifs that I was really interested in, you know, and then it just becomes about, when you're thinking about, okay, how are we going to make this real? How are we going to actually go out and like, what are we going to put in front of the camera? You know, I think that, that those compromises sort of come with the territory. And I think, you know, it's a director's job to to know what to fight for and what to be willing to, to find another solution for. I mean, that's a, that's a huge part of the job, but it's certainly an expected one. 
Well, I'm glad they gave you the opportunity to, and, and I have seen Laura hasn't slept and it, it does feel, it feels like a prequel to me, honestly. It, <laughs> it feels, especially I've because, heard that. because Caitlin Stacy reprises her role in Smile as Laura, the character from Laura hasn't slept. I, I don't know if it's supposed to be the same character, but it so much feels like a direct follow-on from what she experiences in that short film. So talk a little bit about how the idea for Smile and I guess I would put it as this idea of mental health stigma as a curse that passes from person to person via the experience of trauma. I mean, it's a pretty heavy theme that you are dealing with here. How did all of this kind of come about in your head as an idea for a story? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was when I was originally making Laura Hasn't Slept, which, you know, I I sort of see the two as uh spiritual siblings that like share a lot of genetics and dna you know i i've heard the the sort of like direct sequel thing um which is like a really interesting idea which was like never really in my brain but i've heard a lot of people say that which uh, makes a lot of sense but you know when i was first doing that short i was i was really intrigued by this idea of like can i take something that feels really psychological and like deeply internal that a character could go through and and something that they're feeling that they're experiencing but also like raise the question of like could it be actually something external and supernatural that's coming after them and like that weird hazy ground in the middle but between those two um felt really fascinating to me and that's what i was attempting to put on screen with with the short film and then you know pushing forward into into smile um and just sort of expanding on that you know i think those those themes and stuff i think that i was just really sort of fascinated by the stuff that I think a lot of us are are walking around, right? You know, I was, I was developing and writing it during the pandemic. So I guess sitting at home, the things we're all sitting at home, you know, challenging mental health time for us all. Yeah. Yeah. The things that we have inside of our heads, you know, our, our, our sort of individual guilt, traumas, depressions, anxieties, all of those things that I think everyone has experienced to some degree or another and about how, you know, sometimes it feels like that stuff that's so, inside of you that like dealing with with grief or depression or trauma or things like that can feel like you're cursed at times and i was just fascinated by this like idea of can i can i actually manifest it as a as a real curse potentially and sort of bring in this external really heightened you know potentially supernatural cause and 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 sort of twist it together with all the internal psychology of the character until they're sort of like inextricable from one another. They're all the same thing. That was really interesting to me and sort of like watching this character on a journey. I mean, the, the film is definitely like a love letter to, to like curse chain films, which, which I've always, yeah, I was going to uh, ask if, if that was an inspiration at all. Yeah. I've always really enjoyed those. I think that something about them like really always got to me. I, I felt like they're very, scary uh it's a, it's a it's a frightening concept but um for me i wanted to put a, a different kind of character at the center of one of those somebody who felt hopefully like really grounded and honest who had a lot of of deep personal stuff going on in their lives and that when this when this outside external means comes into their life that it's all filtered through their own personal experience and all of their their history and and, and all of that stuff it just it felt like a really fascinating way in yeah, well, and, and it shows up that way uh, on the screen. I think the the idea of like the urban legend curse film also works really well just because of the built-in tension that comes with being on a ticking clock because, you know, whether it's The Ring or It Follows or whatever, some of the references people have made 
comparative to your film, those are all situations where someone is actively trying to figure out how to get rid of the thing before it kills them. Like there is a an end in sight that they know is coming. And that creates a, a very distinct terror, both for the characters, but obviously passed on to the viewer. Yeah. I personally found a lot of Final Destination in it, which I really enjoyed. Just the idea of what happens with the the man who's in prison and that whole section of the film. I, I was did, was that on your mind at all? I guess what I mean, mainly the concept of trying to skip the curse. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't I mean, I've seen the first few Final Destinations. I don't know that those were on my mind when I was making the movie, but the, uh, you're certainly not the first one to bring it up. So I think there there must be some sort of uh, something in the air between between the two. But no, I mean, yeah, I think there's something for me. Like, I love this idea of like, you know, I, I sort of like the metaphor of like a, a character um, stepping in gum and then like not being able to get it off you oh, know? Wow. <laughs> like, like that's kind of how how Some gory gum <laughs> yeah just that that feeling that like oh no like I, i've accidentally like gotten something attached to me and i and i just like can't i can't get it off of me like that scares me really badly and i wanted to like do that with with a, with a character so good there's been i think pretty much universal praise for sosie bacon's performance as rose who is our pov character in this were you involved with the casting for the film? How was it like getting her on board and working with her? Um, yeah, I mean, I you know I casted the whole film. I mean, you have obviously you've got your your producing partners and the, and the studio has opinions stuff like that. But um, and of course casting directors. But obviously Rose was the first role that we that we cast, and I I knew always that it was gonna the whole film was gonna hinge upon that character and that performance. I mean, the characters in almost every single scene film is so closely tied to her subjective that how we relate to that character is going to really, really affect the viewing experience of the film. And um, I had been meeting with a bunch of different actors for for that role. And, and when I met Sosie, she'd read the script and, and the things that she was saying about the character and about the story and, and sort of the, the way that she approaches storytelling, I found, you know, she was so smart and thoughtful about it. And, and she told me about how she had been really looking for something that was going to challenge her um, as a performer, both, both in the performance of it and, and in something that was going to scare her, that, you know, stepping into something that she hadn't done before. And so she was definitely saying all the right things. And she's, she's got this really incredible ability, um, I think, of, of, of being able to ground a character and, and make, it, make the character feel real and have you empathize with them in a way that is just totally innate to what she does. And, and that was so important for me with the character of Rose because, you know, we meet her and we need to believe this, this you know, sort of like put together doctor who's clearly got, you know, a host of troubles, but, but somebody who we feel like we can relate to and connect with so that when she goes um, on this really, really just wild uh, sort of extraordinary journey that that we're willing to go with her and we believe it the whole time. And that, so that was super important to me. And then watching Sosie operate at, at those really extreme levels of terror and anxiety and stress and dread, you know, day after day for, for the whole shoot, you know, she handled the whole thing so well. And, and she was such a sort of such a great partner in crime for the whole project. Yeah, she she's she makes it go for sure. Um, she's a phenomenal lead in this. You talked about your love of special effects going back to like the thing. I think that's a, an awesome uh, memory there because it 
makes a lot of sense with the way that the creature and the gore is handled in this. I'm not a gore person, particularly. <laughs> and what I appreciated was both your restraint in quantity, but your exceptional ability to make quality effects. And it feels very much like when you go for it in this movie, you go hard. And otherwise, it's just a very tense mystery drama. How did you get into this effects loving work? Did you have you done a lot of practice? Do you, you know, have you worked on them yourself? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for, for saying all that. And a, a big shout out to both Studio ADI, you know, Tom Woodruff Jr. and Alec Gillis and their team did all, all the really big stuff at the end of the movie and, and we're incredible partners and total rock stars in my opinion. And then also um, Jeremy Sullenfriend, who who is another uh, effects artist who did a lot of the um, trauma work and stuff uh, throughout the film. Growing up, I always was just, like I said, really fascinated by by practical effects. And I think that you know, I, I've used I've used practical well, a mix of, of practical and and visual effects in in all of my shorts, and you know, so I got a lot of uh, a lot of sort of practice under my belt doing that. But I just I've always found that there's there's something about practical effects putting something in front of the camera that a I think it it really changes the performance with the actor because when there's something tangible there for them to interact with. You know, they, they, it, it just, I think it really helps a performance or a reaction to something. But also I think for the audience, you know, uh, like unless you've got these like giant Marvel budgets, I think that it, it's sometimes like bad CG, bad blood, bad, you know, all, all that stuff. It just like, it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb and you, know, you can be really engaged in a scene and suddenly like a, like a bad piece of CG will, will take you out of it. So for me, I, I really love a level of, of immersion where, you know, if I can get audiences like really questioning what they're even looking at on screen and, and, and how it's possible, I just, it, there's something about it that makes it all the more unsettling that I really love. Yeah. Well, the design, were you responsible for the idea of how the monster, specifically the end, the creature, the curse is manifested, the way in which it takes over a new victim that is it's brilliant and will forever be stained in my brain awesome uh, I, lo I love hearing that um yeah so it was you know written exactly into the script um exactly what happens including like i, I knew i knew how restrained we were going to be and how much we were going to see of, of of the uh sort of like final form of, of the smiler but i had like written into the script basically like you know that wide tableau and like what's what's happening inside of it. And I had drawn like a really rudimentary version of that early on. And then um, I worked with a concept artist who helped bring it to life and worked with me on a, on a bunch of the ideas that I was, that I had in my head. And then when we, you know, we brought Studio ADI on, they then took it and they're, they're really amazing artists themselves beyond incredible, you know, technicians and craftsmen. They, they, they've got, they've done a lot of, a lot of monsters over the years. And, you know, so they, they sort of, took what we had done and reinterpreted it through their own their own lens i guess for, for the for the final look of the monster but it always involved sort of like the uh everything happening with all of the mouths and all and all of that but the you know that final look is sort of an amalgamation of of you know what started in my head and then working with with other artists to to get there so so cool i am going to tag this with a little bit of a spoiler warning here because i want to ask you about the ending i've got to get your opinion on this because I think it's a little controversial. So first of all, I want to say I personally really enjoyed the fact that 
whether this was your sole reason or not, you totally subverted my expectations. And I think as horror film watchers, we are expecting a certain thing to happen that is going to set us up perfectly for a sequel and leave us with a little bit of a, a more uplifting kind of <laughs> takeaway than than we you know we watched a lot of crazy awful stuff happen and now we get to okay we can breathe a little and instead you go a different direction I, I wanted to know what was kind of behind your thinking for having it take Joel and essentially making it so that Rose can't escape and is that a comment on the difficulty of getting free of mental stigma and of mental health stigma when you have friends and family that won't listen to you or what were you hoping audiences would get out of that? It's funny. You said you like had tried to like look me up and all that stuff earlier in the podcast and, and it, you know, there's not a ton about me out there, but you know, for people who I think have, who are familiar with my work and my writing and things like that, like it, it probably wouldn't come as a giant surprise. Um, that, you know, I, I feel like a lot of my things tend to, uh, end in, in total disaster, but the movie's not a comment on, on anything, right? It's a, it's an R rated horror movie that's not designed to, to be. <laughs> A message for anybody to live their life by but but for me i was just really interested in in the exploration of following this character to the worst logical conclusion it just felt like the most interesting and and sort of like thematically challenging thing to do and and for me you know i it was really important that as we follow this character on her journey that we do arrive at you know some level of, of emotional catharsis before the end and you know i wanted I, I felt that the character earned that and the audience for going on that journey earned that i wanted to make sure we have it but this you know supernatural evil that that i've i've sort of introduced in the film i was just for me there, there was something so um intriguing about exploring you know what happens when bad that exists in the world doesn't go away when it when it creeps back it felt like there was a there was a thematic through line that felt like one version of of, of an honest take on things and it just it it felt right i don't know it was it was always there from the beginning of of development that what happens happens well it's very memorable and i and i like that i think that, that more than being important of being a, any sort of commentary i like that you said that actually that you're you're here to entertain uh, first and foremost and and it does that for sure but it also has these deeper ideas that i think it's nice to be able to kind of draw your own conclusions and talk about maybe what you individually what people thought about it yeah, I don't. I don't love endings that are tied up neatly in bows either. And I think that sometimes we we get confused between like what we want to Absolutely. happen for the character versus like Absolutely. what is like you know the, the the version of the story that's like really going to have an impact and, and stick with us. Yeah, that and expectations are two of the hardest things to <laughs> deal with when you go into any film viewing experience is to separate yourself from what you thought should happen versus what a director is putting on the screen for you to experience but real quick. I did want to also tell you that I did watch the hide behind as well. And oh, nice. I'm calling this out on the podcast because I want everybody who's listening to this to go and look this up on YouTube. You can watch it personally. I think it's phenomenal. Okay. I, oh, if, wow. I don't know what you have in the hopper right now. If you if you got work going, but if you want to expand on this concept, I'm going to be there day one. I think, it's an awesome idea. Do you have any ideas that come further in that story or was that strictly just a, a one-off? 
I made that for like no money, basically like for the cost of food with with some friends. And it's it's weird. It like had this whole life. Like it it actually ended up doing like fourteen months on a festival circuit, and wow. then ended up online where I can't believe how many people have actually watched it. Is is really funny. It was sort of the first like I had made a few things prior to that but that was like the first thing i put out into the world just to to see uh if people would like it and um that's amazing that you went and found it and watched it i, I appreciate that well and the uh, theme, i don't know if i'm gonna do anything with it uh, the smiling sort of felt like... theme feels like it's now it's gonna be your thing parker <laughs> you're gonna be the smiling guy like every movie yeah. has to have smiling characters i wonder if i if i if i have uh sort of like <laughs> If not, if now I've gotten to the end of, of of the rope with the smiling after after making a movie called Smile, um, it might feel like you know maybe yeah. maybe I've exercised that at this point. That is one thing that this movie does so well. I think effectively is it leaves the audience with something that is a fear generator. When you walk out of this movie, your eyes are on the ground because you don't want to look at people who are smiling at you. <laughs> That is the sign. I think that's part of why people have responded to it so well. You know, why it's done such great box office numbers, uh, largely because, I mean, it's it's reviewed well, but also, I think, via word of mouth, which is probably, for indie horror, the best thing you could imagine happening is that word of mouth spreading. But, but yeah, you've created like this image now that people will always associate with with fear something that they <laughs> generally think of as a positive has been flipped on them nice yeah i mean no i mean you know watching audiences you know appearing to to embrace and connect with the movie has been like really one of the most satisfying parts of of the whole process for me and and yeah you know I, i'm 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 delighted to have ruined smiling for for uh for some people um and you know i'll 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 see if i'm so lucky as to get the opportunity to keep making movies um you know i'll i'll continue trying to ruin things that people love uh, perfect <laughs> as much as i can <laughs> well my last question for you is something that i like to ask all the filmmakers uh, that i speak with on the show and that is because our show we really lean into talking about our feelings and how movies emotionally affect us and so I wanted to ask if you could share a recommendation of something that has profoundly or had some sort of impact on you emotionally in some way, some movie that you can recall that has left you with a strong emotional response, whatever that emotion might be. Oh, wow, man, what a question. You know, emotional response is such an interesting way into choosing a movie. <laughs> you know, I can, I think that like... <sighs> It's one of the films that that I return to more than almost any other, which is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. It's one of my favorite films of all time for so many reasons. You know, the the craft, the storytelling, the performances. It just has everything that I love. And you know, Kubrick's one of my favorite filmmakers. But you know, I, what's so interesting to me about that film is the first, I watched it the first time as a kid, and was terrified by it. And I'd never felt so uncomfortable and strange and sort of and 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 freaked out by a film before that i mean i'd seen other other horror films and it wasn't even that the shining i mean there's really scary moments in it but it's there's something about the atmosphere and the strangeness of the whole thing that really got under my skin as a kid and i couldn't really even put my thumb on on what it was it's just this alchemy of, of stuff that was really working on me it sort of like left this I, there's just like imagery and moments in that film that that left this like psychic impact on my brain 
that I wasn't quite prepared for as a kid. And then as I revisited the film, like in high school and started to really appreciate it more and then, and then starting to like want to become a storyteller and watching it again and again. And, and I also, I, I mean, I love the King novel too. Um, I mean, I, I, lo I love Stephen King, but there was something about that film that, that every time I watched it, I felt like I got new things out of it. My relationship with it continued to, to change and, and evolve. And it, it's still, it's like one of those the few movies that like I can put it on and like, you know, I, I just, there's like no desire to look at my phone or do anything. It just, I have this like, like locked in connection with it when I watch it. And it's, it's one of the few films that I, you know, from as far back as I remember watching movies till today, I, I remain just like endlessly fascinated with and I, and I, and I can't get over it. I don't know. And that might be a roundabout way of saying having an emotional connection with something, but that, that movie for me and for, of course, for other filmmakers, I'm not saying anything new. I know <laughs> I'm not, I'm not blowing anybody's brain with the shining, but yeah, the, the shining, the shining just for me is, is like one of the, one of my favorites. That's awesome. That's that's a perfect uh, answer and a great explanation of why it was so impactful for you. And also kind of hilariously coincidental because one of the all time great smiles in a movie that people <laughs> have experienced. So maybe yeah. a perfect place to kind of wrap this up. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. I, like many, have loved it. And I think we're all excited to Find out what you're doing next. Well, gosh, well, thank you so much for this. This was really great. And I appreciate you saying all that. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Parker Finn. Thank you, as always, for listening. Again, the film is still playing in some theaters and is available to purchase digitally or stream on Paramount+. Plus. I'll be back soon. Till then, keep watching and keep feeling film.